the music industry is a great example of really the market wins. And like, that's one of the points I made in the tweet. And I, I think is important to think about when you think about this case that I'm not a, a doomer in the sense of like, this isn't going to end AI. Like there's no universe no. where this case would end AI. And so the result is, do we end up with a licensing scheme? Like, is this Napster to iTunes, right? But to your point that this is like, it's going to be a fight and it's going to be a lot of discovery. I, I, I would predict that. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Mev. Tired of the dev shop roller coaster? Mev is your reliable technical partner offering a well-established software development process designed to consistently deliver unparalleled value to their clients. Get $30,000 off your first three months at mev.com slash twist. Northwest Registered Agent. When starting your business, it's important to use a service that will actually help you. Northwest Registered Agent is that service. They'll form your company fast, give you the documents you need to open a business bank account, and even provide you with mail scanning and a business address to keep your personal privacy intact. Visit northwestregisteredagent.com slash twist to get a 60% discount on your next LLC. And the paintbrush loan is the earliest startup financing on the internet. No pitch deck, no business plan, no minimum time in business, and no warm intros. Plus, you get to keep your equity. Visit getpaintbrush.com to see if you qualify for a $50,000 startup loan in less than two minutes. All right, everybody, welcome back to This Week in Startups. You probably heard about this major New York Times lawsuit against OpenAI, you know, the makers of ChatGPT. This is really a, a groundbreaking lawsuit here. I think this is going to be the most important lawsuit that we've seen in AI, perhaps in technology ever. And so I wrote a blog post about it. Some of you may have read it at my substack, calicanis.substack.com. One of the great things about the X platform and Twitter, uh, formerly known as Twitter, is that you meet interesting new people. Well, one of those new people I met was Cecilia Zaniti, uh, and she is an actual lawyer, and <laughs> she did an incredible breakdown on her Twitter uh, while I was writing my Substack. So I invited her to come here on This Week in Startups so that we can break down what is happening in this lawsuit. And this is an absolutely critical episode for all founders because... You can get yourself in a lot of trouble if you don't follow the rules. And this is uncharted territory. I think you would agree. Welcome to the program, Cecilia. Thank you. Yeah, no, excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So just your bona fides, as it were, you uh, wrote a great tweet storm, by the way, and you have a background in legal. So maybe just share with the audience, you know, who you are and uh, why you're taking the time to comment on this issue. I'm a lawyer for tech companies, been in tech since um, I joined Yahoo in the early 2000s when they were still competing with Google and always been interested in the legal side. And over the years, that's taken me to different places. I was at Morrison and Forrester, a big law firm, represented Apple and Apple Samsung, which is a huge case of the day. From there, I joined Amazon and they said, you have all this mobile phone experience. I thought, surely I'll be working on the Fire Phone. <laughs> I get there. They're like, no, we're going to have the more experienced attorneys on that. You're going to work on this device. It doesn't really work. It's called Doppler. And that turned out to be Alexa. And it was yeah. a great career move. So I was the first lawyer on Alexa, had a great experience there, and then um, went on to be a GC of different tech companies. Um, you might have heard Anki was uh, Andreessen Horowitz. It was an early robotics company. Spent some time at Cruise. And then most recently, I was the general counsel for Applet. Oh, wow. So uh, what an incredible career thus far. Let's get into this case, uh, because 
This is a very unique case in the history, I think, of copyright. And correct me if I'm wrong, having been in content my whole career as a journalist, publisher, Silicon reporter, blogs at Weblogs Inc., I've dealt with a lot of these fair use claims. Uh, and I've dealt with a lot of copyright claims. I've dealt with cell phone manufacturers, you know, emailing us, oh my God, you have a leak. That's our copyrighted information, all this stuff. And so there's um, a lot to unpack here. But when you saw this lawsuit drop and you, you started unpacking it, how important is this lawsuit? And, and what is the nature of the lawsuit for people, you know, who, uh, you know, maybe are new to this just briefly? What is the nature of this lawsuit? What is the New York Times claiming? Yeah, so New York Times has a content library, one of the few content holders more prolific than you, Jason, perhaps, going back <laughs> to 1851, right? So they reported on literally the Civil War, right? So that amount of content, millions of articles, the allegation is that those articles were used in a couple of ways by OpenAI without consent. So one way is training, right? So in the complaint, New York Times actually breaks down that it was a decent percentage of the articles used to train OpenAI. I think, you know, in the in like one or 2%, something where it's actually measurable. Mm. You know, one random blog post that I wrote, you know, not going to move the needle, but the entire New York Times archive, you know, maybe it does. And that's the allegation. So that's one. The second theory is more on the output side. So when you go to ChatGPT and you ask for an article, They've got this exhibit. New York Times made this exhibit, Exhibit J. You can look it up. It's great. But essentially, it has a hundred instances of somebody putting the first paragraph of an article in, and ChatGPT gives you the rest verbatim. Mm. You know, like almost you know one or two word changes. But that is kind of a different a different theory, and it triggers the law differently. I can get into that if it's of interest. But that, that's really the core of this. Yeah, and so. The nature of fair use, I am very familiar with because I've had many people claim that we use their content, let's say in a blog post or in this very podcast, where we might use a short snippet of a song where I'm doing commentary on it, or a clip of a, a news event that occurs. And so I'm pretty familiar with the four part test. But maybe you could run our audience through the four part test because OpenAI, I think, believes that what they're doing is fair use. And then as part of that, I don't know that training as a concept has existed in the copyright law. This idea of training something, I believe, is novel to copyright law. Am I correct in that one? That's right. There hasn't been at least an adjudicated case on training yet. There have been a lot of fair use cases that I think OpenAI and New York Times will each point to ones that go their way um, uh -huh. in technology, but there hasn't been one on on training that I'm aware of um, that's gotten to that point yet. But in terms of the fair use test, um, it's a super fun one. It's four factors, as you said, but they are non-exclusive and it's very squishy. It's literally courts are directed to so judges apply it, not juries. Courts are directed to balance the interest and they can consider mm. other factors. And no one factor is fancy word dispositive. No one factor decides. So it really is something where it, there's a lot of discretion and the optics of it and how like whether the judge wants to rule your way tends to mm. matter so and they don't the, if the four-part test is not um you can take five percent it's not you can take 12 percent. it's not you're you can monetize it a little bit over here it's open for interpretation 
Exactly. And you have to, as a judge, when you make these decisions, look at the totality of those four parts. So let maybe we get into those four parts and then yeah, go into oh, some oh, examples. Let's dive in. Yeah. Let's yeah. dive in. I have a I actually have a slide. Would I should I pull Great. that up? All right. Awesome. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, wow. I love a guest with a slide deck. I love it. <laughs> I wanted to be a, a law professor and then decide other things were more lucrative. So th- this yeah. is my, my law professor dying to be free. But essentially, um, fun thing about fair use, it was uh, the original fair use case was in the 1800s. And it was a about writings that George Washington had. Oh. And another biographer copied 353 pages of Washington's original writing and lost. It was not fair use. 350 pages was too much. Mm. And then that opinion um, from the 1800s got codified into the Copyright Act. So here Mm. they are. Let's go through the four factors. So I used emoji because this is Mm. the new generation. The Zoomers will (laughs) will do that. But essentially, the first one is the purpose and character of the use. And this is really where all the play is in technology cases. So I've got here, I've got the emoji for theater for like, how are you using it? Mm -hmm. The emoji for a video game controller, because Mm -hmm. video game cases are actually pretty instructive here. And then the emoji for the web, right? So this is where what the court considers here is how are, how is the infringer using it? Mm -hmm. Are they making a commentary? Are they making a joke? Are they making a parody? Are they famous case? Perfect 10 versus Google. Mm. Perfect 10 was was a pornographer and said to Google, hey, your thumbnails are infringing our content because they're literal copies that people see. Google defended saying this, we're using this for a different purpose. You're not trying to be pornographically entertained when you're doing a thumbnail search. Maybe you are, but it's not a good substitute. Google won that case on this fact. So that was for Google search. Now, let's go through some of those cases. If you were doing commentary... There have been many cases where people will take a movie or there'll be a documentary film about uh, a movie uh, or might use movie clips. And if you're doing commentary on that, even if it's commercial, there's some leeway allowed for that. And then there's parody. So if you made a parody movie like Spaceballs is the famous Mel Brooks parody of Star Wars, you can make a parody, you can make a joke of something. And The test, I believe, like the subtest here is the confusion of the audience. Does the audience know who the original author is or not? So if Saturday Night Live does a parody of, for two or three minutes, of Harry Potter, nobody is confused that that's actually Harry Potter. I I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? So this is part of it. Whereas if I did, I wrote my own fan fiction of Harry Potter, and it was really good, and it was a full book, you might be like, wait a second, I can't tell if JK Rowling did this or not. So there's something about the audience that matters here in this purpose as well, correct? Yeah, so it it basically, um, fanfic is a great example. It actually, the examples that you gave implicate not just the audience's view, but really the full factor test. And the factors kind of like, it's like a, like an inverse scale, you know, that one goes up and another one goes down. But in the case of Harry Potter, great example. So JK Rowling sues fan sites and she wins because her stuff is so creative that, you know, if you have a fan site that says, okay, this is Hagrid and has big chunks of paragraphs and they're getting all this revenue, lots of clicks, you know, SEO optimized website that's a fan site. J.K. Rowling testified and she said, I mean, so creative to even testify this way. She's like, it's as if someone came into my plum pie I had cooked and picked the great plums out. 
And so it was like the creative aspects. Yeah. Those were kind of what triggered the case. A lot of founders are great at going from zero to one. This takes vision, creativity, hustle, all that great stuff. But those same people often struggle with going from one to a hundred. If you want to scale and you want to do it efficiently, you're going to need process and you need structure. And that starts with your product. So if your startup needs a more structured engineering approach, you need to check out MEV. MEV helps businesses build and maintain their products faster and more effectively. They'll make your product more stable, scalable, and secure. They'll build custom infrastructure that scales, and they can help build additional features for your product and more. For each of your needs, MEV organizes an entire tech team comprised of senior engineers, delivery managers, DevOps, Q&A, and designers. And they've been in business for 17 years. And they've helped the following companies build complex tech products, Cartier, Tuit, and Ozempic maker Nova Nordisk, my favorite. So let MEV help you increase product velocity and make product engineering more sustainable. MEV is going to give you $30,000 off your first three months. That's right. Get $10,000 off per month right now at MEV.com slash twist. That's MEV.com slash twist for $30,000 off your first three months. Interesting on the parody side, you know, the Supreme Court weighed in on it. Um, I have a sound clip if you're, oh, your let's users would yes, be interested. Sure. Let's do it. Okay. Because um, I remember when I was coming up in the industry, I always found this one fascinating. There was a game called Mist. It was okay. a very famous game. And then uh, somebody made a parody of Mist and they sold it as packaged software. And people got really, uh, they weren't confused by it, but, you know, they had to make some concessions, I think. But in most of these lawsuits, am I correct, are settled out of court. They don't go all the way. People just say like, hey, this is not reasonable. This feels unfair. And then the other party says, okay, well, if we put parity on it and we made these changes, would that be okay with you? And they kind of negotiate their way out of it. Yeah, exactly. They're pretty rare to go fully to the Supreme Court or even just to court in general, because usually the parties work it out. They're expensive, unpredictable, et cetera. This one did go all the way. Commonly, it's record companies or your Sonys of the world, your New York Times, that are pretty big and have, you know, kind of the pockets to do it or mm -hmm. a big financial reason to, to push it, right? They have a lot of stake. Exactly, exactly. They so in this hold, case- They have to hold the line in some ways, right? If, if you don't defend the, yourself in an in instance, then the next instance, it becomes harder to defend yourself. Is that correct? That's right. Um, also, it, it, it's like a commonly people who are, are trying to claim for use, like they sort of know in advance and that's certainly the case with OpenAI. Like they knew the copyright issue was coming. You know, one of the things in the complaint says that their board member, you know, Helen Toner, the one who departed, one of her issues with Sam Altman was not addressing copyright properly. So if you know that, then you hire people like me to help you like, okay, right. where are the edges? How can we win on these different factors? And so, yeah. So in this case, this one is Pretty Woman. So the classic okay. Roy Orbison song. The guitar riff is pretty recognizable. And Two Live Crew made um, a version of it that I can I can play part of it. Sure. Um, let me see if, if you can get the audio. Let's see. Yeah. Is that coming through? Yeah, it's coming through. Cool. And now we're going to get a copyright claim here. Exactly. <laughs> on YouTube. Exactly. No, I'll just uh, but play we will just say enough it. No, no, it's okay. To, to understand. We, will, we, will, we will defend it as fair use because we're doing commentary on this. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. That is, I mean, it's literally, it's pretty literally woman. the same, right? You know, yes. they've, they've added it's a like cover a song in a way. It's like a it's cover a, it's song. It's a cover. Yeah. So, yeah. but what they did, and this is kind of interesting, is, you know, instead of sort of the Oh Pretty Woman lyric repeated, 
they made it oh hairy woman oh bald woman like they made it, it it's kind of a raunchy song but the sure. point is is like it's different enough that the argument was made that like this is a commentary on you know, sort of society and wealth. It talks about, you know, it, it, there's different, you know, you could argue that Two Live Crew was in a, just in a different societal place than Roy Orbison in the 60s or whenever he wrote the song. And hmm. so it went to the Supreme Court. And this case stands for the proposition that a use can be fair. It can be parody or or commentary, even if you're making money. Like, you know, hmm. this is a Two Live Crew. They were not professors. They were not, you know, just like writing a blog no one would read. They were selling music. And yes. and so that case was was important and it got really into the four factors. So it's considered one of like the canonical cases. And how did that case work out? Did it wind up in a settlement, I would assume? Uh, you know, after the Supreme Court ruled in Tulip Cruz's favor, I'm not sure what happened. I think um the Roy Orbison estate like lost rights to the work or something like that. Uh, but it, it turned out to be a sad thing for Roy or- Orbison in the end. And now when people do do samples. There is, and, and the music industry is the toughest. They're the most hardcore because it's a small group of people and they work together in unison. You know, let's be honest. They're just super sharp elbowed people. They've always been in terms of IP. So they have said like, hey, listen, you want to do a cover? Here's the mechanicals and the licensing for that. Hey, you want to use a sample? You have to have permission in advance. And then, hey, you can do a sample. And then Kanye just did a Backstreet Boys cover. And people were wondering how he got the rights to the sample. It wasn't a sample. It was a cover. And so they they have their own little mechanics and traditions in the music industry that or standards, right? They've established exactly uh, for this. That yeah, I mean, that's the music industry is a great example of really the market wins. And like, that's one of the points I made in the tweet. And I, I think is important to think about when you think about this case that I'm not a, a doomer in the sense of like, this isn't going to end AI. Like there's no universe no. where this case would end AI. And so the result is, do we end up with a licensing scheme? Like, is this Napster to iTunes, right? So Napster comes out, you know, at, at, in the time I was in college, and it was like, you could get the entire Beatles library from somebody in the dorm next door. Like, you know, it, it was clearly like, it felt sort of bad. <laughs> yeah, it felt <laughs> like I'm, stealing. It felt yeah. like stealing, right? And well, so, because there you know, was no difference between downloading on Napster or downloading on iTunes or buying a CD. It was this, you did one exactly. in place of the other. It, uh-huh, exa- that's exactly right. And it iTunes came up after, right? It was like, okay, this is a legitimate way to pay for digital music. And, and people like, you know, me or you or whomever, it didn't feel like stealing when you paid for 99 cents. And it wasn't when you paid on, when you paid for yeah. it on iTunes or Spotify or where, wherever now. And that industry has come out of that. So you can see, you know, with OpenAI, they could have a system where they figure out um, kind of the provenance of different outputs and pay in some way. Or, okay, you want me to do a verbatim Luigi? All right, there's your five cents to Nintendo or whatever. Like, this is not, the, the tech will find a way. I'm very confident of that. This argument by technologists is that this is too hard to do attribution is nonsense. I mean, if you can, you would agree agree with you. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you can create this incredible AI that's able to make images, you should be able to figure out what was the source of those images. And if you can go find these libraries of content to train it on, and then train these very sophisticated things and set up 10,000 computers or 100,000 computers and billions of dollars worth of computers with thousands of engineers, I think you figure out attribution. It's not that hard. And in fact, there are services that are already out that that are in the chat GPT mode, um, which actually do do citation. So 
the market has already proven it's possible. Let's talk about this one piece of the four-part test. You've got the purpose and the character of your use. Is it parity? Yep. Is it education? In education, if you're not making money, or in society, if you're doing commentary, you get a bit of protection. We want that in society. We want exactly. Mel Brooks to be able to make jokes. Got it. We want a professor to be able to show, you know, Star Wars and give commentary in a class in a non-commercial setting for people to learn. It's not going to compete with people, right? So that's all exactly. really good stuff. That's good stuff that we want in society. And we also want people to be able to make fun of things and, and do commentary. So if John Stewart or Olive, uh, John Oliver want to take, I don't know, a talk that some, you know, President Trump or President Biden did, and they want to make fun of it and use parts of it, well, we want them to be able to be mocked in a free society. And that doesn't kind of conflict with anything. So we understand those. Yeah, but kind one, of a fun, one fun yeah. little point on that is yeah. that it comes from the Constitution. So ah. copyright law is actually, it's federal law. And the IP clause is um, Section 8 Clause, Article 1, Section 8 Clause 8. <laughs> and it says, to promote the progress of science and the useful arts, Congress can secure limited monopolies for authors and inventors. And that, that initial to, mo to promote the progress of science and the arts that's been used by courts to limit copyright. So copyright could go really, really far. Like you could allow yeah. copying never, but that idea that it really is about societal progress, that's also what helps tech companies, right? So that's also why Google won the thumbnails case because they're like, look, you know, it's super useful to have search. How else are you going to have image search if you don't know what image is actually in the results? Right. And they also had the argument, I think, in that case that they were doing very tiny images smaller percentage of the original work and that they weren't taking every image i believe there was like we're only taking a small amount of it and then they also i think had the sort of ultimate uh rebuttal which was you can also i think they created robots.txt around that time where you could just say you know what i don't want my site index and the google was like if you don't want to be in the index you don't have to be and exactly. so perfect 10 then could just not be in the index and problem solved so then they had to make the trade-off okay I give a little bit of my content a thumbnail image of you know, some uh, photo uh, of an adult nature. And then I, but I get some traffic. So maybe it's worth it. And then the copyright holder can make that decision. Just like I think Star Wars, Lucas was very cool with fan fiction, as long as it, and fan movies even, as mm. long as you didn't try to monetize it. Starting a business used to be a pain. You needed a lawyer, there were hidden fees. It was a mess. Now with Northwest registered agent, it only takes 10 clicks and 10 minutes. Northwest provides everything you need to start and maintain your business. Every LLC, corporation, or nonprofit that Northwest forms comes equipped with registered agent service, a business address, a website, and hosting, email, a phone number, and this is all covered by Northwest's privacy by default. Again, your full business identity will be live in 10 minutes and in 10 clicks. So here's your call to action for $39 plus state fees. They'll form your LLC, corporation, or nonprofit and launch your business in just minutes. Visit northwestregisteredagent.com slash twist today. That's northwestregisteredagent.com slash twist today. So if you go onto YouTube right now, you can watch all these really creative kids running around dressed as Jedi fighting each yeah, other yeah. and releasing episodes. They don't get cease and desist. But JK Rowling might say, hey, with my art, I want a different standard. And, and exactly. So Exactly. And, and you know, open AI to, to the point that, you know, you get lawyered up and you kind of realize what you have to fight about. OpenAI has been savvy about this and they announced in the summertime that they'll respect robots.txt go forward. 
And yeah. so these kinds of systems where you're giving the, the owner control, that's going to be the kind of thing that OpenAI will argue, you know, matters here. And they're doing that, you know, partly informed by precedent, but partly also because from an economic standpoint, it's the right thing to do. Okay, you own your content, you have this bundle of rights, you want to license your content to make a Harry Potter restaurant, fine. I mean, that was another case, actually, funny enough. Somebody tried to do a, um, uh, it was Picasso? called. Picasso? I think it was it, a Picasso uh, Cafe? Yeah, so it was, it was a restaurant, actually, of SpongeBob. Um, ah. So SpongeBob, there's the Krusty Krab, which is a SpongeBob character. And there was a restaurant in Houston called the Rusty Crab. Oh. And they, they tried to say, oh, this is social commentary. But it, it really wasn't. It was just a SpongeBob restaurant. And so Viacom went after them and won. So now the percentage of the work matters when in, in this fair use test as well, correct? That's right. Yeah. So it's called um, this, the second factor is the amount and substantiality of the portion used. Um, okay. I can pull up the slide. That's the third yeah. factor. Technically, third I, factor. I got confused here. I'm not, I'm also not an AI. One second. <laughs> <laughs> We've proven it. We're exactly. Make exactly. It. Like lots of ways. Um, okay. So nature of the copyrighted work, that's factor two. It doesn't mm -hmm. get a ton of play because it's, um, you know, most work is creative, but mm -hmm. in this case, um, New York times anticipated this issue and they've got a long thing in the complaint about how creative their journalism is. And, and they, they're yes. right. Like, you know, they spend a lot of time. I mean, obviously, you know, you've been a journalist. It's not just pure facts. There's a lot of ways. And funny enough, I, I didn't expect this. But in response to my tweet thread, there was a lot of political things. It was like, mm. oh, my goodness, I can't believe the New York Times is such a chunk of mm. OpenAI's training data. That's why, you know, so ChatGPT is so woke. It's, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, but this is interesting. Facts and data points are very hard to copyright. So if you, there's like a website I use often, which makes beautiful graphs. I forgot the name of it, but it comes up all the time. It's like the and world and data or something like that. It's, something. I, I, I know what you're there's world about, yeah. and data. And then there's another one that comes up in SEO. And all this company does, and they charge like a subscription for it, is take other people's data and make a very beautiful standardized chart. You know, I was looking for some market maps for one of my investments or some market sizing. And it had, you know, it was like something super obscure. It was like the world button market or something. And it had like all the countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you look in the credit, it says source, you know, this is, uh, you know, Pew Research, Pew Data. This is from this data. This is, so you can literally make any chart you want on anybody else's data as long as and I think, in terms of fairness, you just put that that's the source of the data. But data is not copyrightable. Is this correct? Like facts and data yeah. are not copyrightable. Yeah. So a cu couple of big cases on that one. Um, one was Feist versus Rural Telephone. And it's kind of a little, a little antique, but essentially one telephone maker took the phone numbers and names from another, made their own phone book, put their own ads in it. And essentially that case was pretty important because the Supreme Court said, look, Copyright is not about labor. It's not about the work you put in. It's about the creativity. Remember, to promote progress of science and the useful arts, is this really about creative progress is copying of a telephone? Now, there's other ways, maybe contract or other ways that, that you could go after. But in your scenario, Pew, you know, if it's reported as a fact, you know, percentage of Americans on the internet every day or whatever it is, then you would be able to use that, that compilation. Now, there's some nuance around creativity in the compilation. So the, the other big, big case on facts um, is Oracle versus Google, right? So that went to the Supreme Court. Google copied Oracle, uh, I think it was declaring code. And so essentially, in order to be able to 
to have Java on on Chrome, they did that copying and the Supreme Court that was heavily litigated over years. Yes, um, yeah. yeah, I think 10 or 11 years, but any event, the Supreme Court found for Google in that case. So the nature of the work, yes, Statista is the name of the website that we uh, sometimes yes, use. That's exactly S- what it is. Yeah. I've, I've and, used um, it before. I, and then there was an, another one, eMarketer, and they've gotten in all kinds of like legal letter kind of trouble, I believe. I remember seeing it. I'm not sure which side had that. But then like, you know, other kind of reblogging sites started doing the same thing. So if you want to make a great business, you can just take other people's facts and make beautiful graphs out of it. You see people do that all the time. But that makes sense. And and then scraping data. There was an Israeli company that was scraping LinkedIn data. And they were saying, hey, this is just facts. That's uh-huh. another area, scraping and fair use there. I don't know if you've seen many cases there, but they, they yeah. th- then you get into international jurisdictions. Like what people think in Japan, India, you know, the Middle East and Europe could be very different. The jurisdiction could be very different in how you use data. I think LinkedIn and Microsoft sued this Israeli company and lost. Um, yeah, yeah, that. it's interesting. I mean, with scraping, you know, thinking about sort of the startup angle, some of it is also contract law. Like I've seen scraping cases get on like, tr- you're literally trespassing. And this is why also, you know, some of the technical means like, you know, if you're scraping in such a way that you're like DDoSing the site or you're hitting it so much that of course there's other claims against you. And, right. you know, every t- website in terms of use has an anti-scraping. And I've started to see in my practice and then a lot of, a lot of companies now are putting, you know, it's against your, our terms of use for you to use our, our data for training. And, Mm. you know, you can imagine, you know, in vertical AI, you know, people doing, I don't know, AI for doctors, there's a website called Doximity, which is like, it's the LinkedIn for doctors. Okay, are they, if you scrape that content, you know, maybe you're individually doing it, you're breaking the terms of use, especially if you're doing it, um, Mm. you know, locked in. So there's kind of other, there's other theories, but yeah, the the LinkedIn case was a big one and scraping overall, you know, certainly in e-commerce, it's everybody does it, does it. Yeah. <laughs> but so, yeah, yeah, there, knowing the kind of price of a product the price of a product across 10 different websites across 100 different days doesn't feel like the nature of that copyrighted work is not like some artists invested a lot of time in it now if you send 10 people to the front in the ukraine or in ukraine rather sorry um and, and you know you, you spent a million dollars putting them there for six months you know this is a whole different ball of wax there's a lot of work and that's what the new york times is claiming here the amount and substantiality of the portion used that's the third part of the test what does that mean yeah so this is getting at our particular phrases copyrightable so interesting one here taylor swift with shake it off she said something like player is gonna play and there was a rap song called player is gonna play some years prior and they they sued taylor but she won, or at least the, the case went away. They agreed to drop it because there's not that many ways to say that concept. So there's this thing called the merger doctrine. And this is actually an, an, an issue where if you, um, if there's only so many ways to do something, mm. then you can't copyright that thing. Yes. But this is a fun one. And I, I have a visual on this one that I, yeah. I think is funny. And it's actually a doll. It was the Seventh Circuit. So that's the circuit over Chicago. And there was mm. this, this company talking about e-commerce mm. that made um, apparently very lucrative to the surprise of the court, which they say in the opinion, but basically farting dolls. Like you buy mm. it at, you know, at the mall or wherever and you you get a doll and it makes a rude noise. The doll on the right was... Mm. Basically, the the makers of that doll had gone to like a toy show or something, seen it, and copied it. <laughs> and so, copyright suit brought by the makers of the guy in the green chair, 
And the court said, look, the concept of a farting doll, that's not copyrightable. No. I can go make one. But the court has this amazing paragraph in the opinion that's like, they could have given him a mullet. They could have given him flannel. They could have done, they could have put him standing up. They could have had him wearing boxer shorts, you know, whatever. Like the point is these little details, too substantial of a portion of the original was used and it was not associated with the idea. Like it had nothing like the idea itself. You can express it a bunch of ways. Mm. So people in this case, in the, in the open AI case, you know, the art stuff is super fun because it's visual. So mm. there's been a whole meme and I did another tweet on about it, about super Mario and Luigi. Yeah. And you know, if you ask for an Italian plumber, that's what you're getting. Yes. But, you know, there's other ways to have an Italian plumber, right? Sure. Maybe he's, maybe he's really stylish and wears Prada, you know? So you could make an anime version of it. But the fact exactly. is the most iconic one that has had a lot of money invested in it was by Nintendo. Listen, not every business is venture scale. If you're not, you won't be able to raise money from VCs. We all know that. And not everybody has a rich family member to do their friends and family round. So if you want to jumpstart your business with $50,000, let me tell you about Paintbrush Loans. Paintbrush has created a new kind of loan product. They connect idea stage startups with bank capital. So you don't need to give up any equity and there's no pitch deck or revenue required. And the Paintbrush Loan is available at the idea stage. In fact, you can apply the moment you incorporate your company. Monthly repayment is a flat, predictable amount, which makes cash flow planning really simple. So here's your call to action. If you're a founder in the U.S., go to GetPaintBrush.com to see if you qualify for a $50,000 startup loan in less than two minutes. That's GetPaintBrush.com to see if you qualify in less than two minutes. One of the things I tell young founders or people in content is like, if it feels unfair, then perhaps it is. And you have to have empathy and take into account what the other party is going to think their opportunity would be. And I think this gets us to the fourth part of the test, which is if a new product or service is, is going to be made from JK Rowling's books or from the New York Times archive, who deserves that opportunity? Am I correct? That's that that's the fourth part of this test. Exactly. And and you're correct in two ways, both on the test and on the feeling. Like, you know, I've been practicing law a long time and a lot of these cases really are like you said napster felt kind of wrong and it kind of yeah. was right and so it, it does turn on that but in terms of the factors let me let me pull that back up and i can um i was very proud of my emoji so i can emojis are great <laughs> I could back show to you the those, emojis but, uh, here. Yeah. but yeah so basically like it, you know you see the flying money but it's literally like what is the market for the original um yes. and the value of that market and who gets to to exploit that right so it, intellectual property is similar to regular property, right? If you have a piece of land, who gets to put a hotel on it, right? If you have this really juicy piece of land, right? So similarly here, New York Times got this factor by saying, OpenAI has already made deals for this. They know how to license data. Like they've yep. already done it with Politico. They've already done it with the AP. It's not like there's no market for this. And right. so, you know, others in the thumbnail case, that was harder to prove. Um, there was evidence put forward. Oh, you could use a thumbnail for... You know, at the time we had those Nokia flip phones with the tiny sure. little lock screen. And it was like, okay, th there's a market for that. But evidence came out in that case that those were fake licensing deals done just for the litigation. Here, ah. it's clearly not. So, yeah, so th that's another factor. And then, but it's not, like I said, it's very squishy, four factors, kind of, and they're not ex ex exhaustive either. So, you know, a court could say, you know, there's these four factors and I'm going to introduce a public good factor, you know, like basically make one up. For the effect of the of use on market and original value, this is where I'm going to do a follow-up post uh, to my original post. 
which is I pay as a user 20 bucks a month or so 20 30 bucks a month for New York Times and I pay 20 30 bucks a month for chat GPT for I'm paying for both. And I recently was going to and I'm a huge fan of the wire cutter and I am like a crazy product research guy. I just love researching products, restaurants, etc. I use Yelp, I use everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love wire cutter. In fact, I tried to buy wire cutter or invest in it back in the day before they sold it to the New York Times. And so I did a search for coffee grinders and some other stuff. And I actually did it on, I believe, ChatGPT and Claude and a couple other ones. And I was just testing it. And um, it was pretty clear that they got their information from Wirecutter because, you know, it was kind of like the answers were very similar. I am like, I think the tip of the spear here. If I get my New York Times and my Wirecutter from ChatGPT4, I might cancel my New York Times over time. Is it not the case that the product OpenAI built, the ability to use a chatbot, to talk to the archive of the New York Times, that is the New York Times's opportunity, not open ads. Yeah. So, you know, the, the example I use, you know, Martha Stewart, great media conglomerate, and she's very, very savvy, very tech forward. She was talking a year ago, right after ChatGPT came out about creating a Martha AI that you could yeah. talk with. Because she's similar to the New York Times. She's got decades of really high quality content that in a particular voice, right? And so yeah. Yeah, th- th- that's one way. Another way is New York Times made the case in the complaint that they calibrate very carefully what's free versus paid, right? You know, the amount of gift things that you have. You know, if you click from Instagram, sometimes you'll get the gift version. Basically, like that's their, like the rights holders, essentially property to exploit is how they would say and how yes. they subdivide it and where they put that line, how much admission they charge, all of those things they would say are within their rights. Now, OpenAI would probably make similar arguments to you that, okay, under that first factor, or similar arguments to what they make out of the first factor, which is, you know, it's a different thing. It's a new, you know, having an LLM, specifically a a very large language model trained on that number of parameters, the amount of investment they've made, they've changed it into something different to where it has a different purpose. You're going to ChatGPT to have generation as opposed to have, you know, pre-made research on a particular thing. Their claim would be, and I'm trying to take their claim seriously here in Farrell. Yeah. Their claim is, hey, we did this first. We made a language model first. Therefore, since the New York Times didn't get to it yet, this is new because doesn't the New York Times have an unlimited amount of time to exploit their own content? Like, yeah, if well, and Disney they could choose not to. Yeah. Or they could choose not to. But so if Disney said, you know what, we we bought Marvel and, you know, we're, we, we haven't made a Marvel theme park ride yet. That doesn't mean somebody else gets to make the Marvel theme park ride. Exactly. Yeah, no. So the time aspect, if I, if I mentioned a time aspect, um, yeah. that would be, I misspoke. But essentially, no, 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 you like, didn't mention it. I was okay. just building okay. on your thoughts on it, which is they're saying, hey, we spent all this money to build this thing. And it's like, yeah, you did. We are planning on building it as well at some point. Therefore, it's our opportunity. So I think that one fails that one, that miserably. One may, may fail. Where where I think they could say is like we're not trying to replace the content. They could say our huh. our our aim is to just merely have the best language model possible, and therefore, you know, the literally more the the higher volume of text that we use, kind of the better. And you know, it's going to be more like the job, the Oracle case that I mentioned, where you know. Google's argument was like, there's only, you know, Java programmers already know how to declare these variables. We're going to copy the declaring code to literally advance the progress of engineering. And so OpenAI could say something like, it's a different thing. You know, we are, we use the New York Times content and other content for training 
to advance kind of the state of the art of the actual LLM, how it generates words, how it's better. And people can kind of see this. And, and what they would say is like, look, GPT 3.5 and GPT 4, very different. GPT 4 is much better because we did more training on more content. Ergo, it's not the actual content itself or the creativity of the content. It's just the fact of having content. What know, the, so that's another another way they could they could take it. Based on your gut, let's say this goes to the mat and we went through this four-part test. Based on your gut, percentage-wise, New York Times wins their argument that you can't train on our data and they have to, they get an injunction. What are the chances that happens? I mean, I'm really the, the putting you on the spot injunction, here. The odds of an injunction are very slim. The standard for an injunction is that it causes irreparable harm to whoever it is, the, the plaintiff. And it's harm that cannot be fixed with money. And so there's very few harms, really, that can't be fixed with money. Right. And so that and then the test for an injunction is another four-factor test. And so when it's sort of close and when you have a, a technology that definitely has societal benefits. So, you know, OpenAI will say, look, we've got people... Um, you know, diagnosing things with ChatGPT, we've, you know, saved marriages, yeah. what, you know, whatever, all, all, the, all the amazing stories about chat, which honestly, like, it, it's, it's sure, an incredible productivity boot. You know, I use it every day, like, I'm a huge user of it. And so just on that societal benefit, I would so be injunction very, very unlikely, injunction, so, very unlikely. So yeah. let's work backwards from that injunction, less than 10% chance. But, uh, yeah, I would say less than 10%. I think that's probably right. Zero. Non-zero. Zero. I mean, you could have something very strange, like, you know, like in the Apple case, Watch the case. Apple patent case, it, yeah. it went sort of all the way to Biden and stuff. So, so you could maybe, but I think it's unlikely. So if they were to lose, then you would be in the damages, but then they would also have to remove it, right? Is that's a possibility is that they have to retrain that the settlement could be that they have to retrain things and take the New York Times out of it. Yeah. I mean, it could be that being said, we, you know, 4.5 GPT 4.5 is rumored to be coming out and so it could be that you know they sort of skip straight to that and they've known about this case for a while like the the complaints as they've been negotiating since April so my guess is OpenAI has probably already um oh. kind of firewalled off the New York Times content got it New York Times I think 535 other journalism publications you know everything from you know down to like the St. Louis Post-Dispatch have put themselves on that do not train list. And so I don't know, but it's very tough for an LLM already developed, right? It's back to Jake yeah. Welling's example, like you can't pick the plums out of the case. In this case, it's almost like, I don't know, you baked a cake and it's like the vanilla. Like how are you going to get the vanilla out of a baked cake? Like it's well, not I mean, a thing. If we know that they trained it on one or 2% in the first versions, and they should be able to determine that because there's going to be a discovery in this case. And this case is going to keep going. I don't think there's a set. I don't believe there's going to be a settlement. I think they're going to take this to the mat, New York Times. Yeah. Because I think they regret not taking it to the mat with Google back in the day. So this is, I think, existential for them, where they view it as such. Therefore, they're going to go to the mat. Therefore, there will be discovery. And in discovery, there will be Slack messages or emails or conversations about what are we going to include? And they're going to have that open crawl and that open crawl is going to be plain as day. What they put in there is going to be in a hard drive somewhere. And then there's going to be people talking about it saying the New York times is really high quality. We should move their weight up and we should make this yeah. like more important than say business insider, which is a lot of like <laughs> fakaka nonsense. And then, you know, oh, and then there's like 4chan or Reddit. Like maybe we'll make those a little bit, you know, uh, less valid or maybe make them more valid. Who knows? 
uh, for, for in the case of Reddit. So that's all going to exist in discovery. And that's going to be super damaging, is it not? And the, the discovery part of this could be explosive. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be super damaging, but it also could be helpful, right? So, I mean, OpenAI, they went for the, the, the nonprofit model in part because they saw, I mean, copyright is one flavor of issues, but they saw certainly societal issues. And so, you know, I, I've done, you know, interacted with OpenAI, Repla had a deal with OpenAI going back to 2020. So they, they're pretty thoughtful. So, I mean, yes. yes, you could get, but any discovery is always a wild card. You could yeah. get crazy emails. In the Google case that I mentioned, the Oracle Google case early on, there was like $150,000 worth of litigation over one email from an engineer saying, hey, I don't see any way how to get out of this without licensing from Oracle. <laughs> and he just <laughs> they literally that put it in there. Yeah, exactly. And it was an email to, you know, like Larry and Sergey. And it was like the Lindholm email. And it was like famous. And this it's guy so who's like, you know, a director of engineering was like, had his moment in the sun from that email. So yeah, this is a reminder. A never exactly. put, never discuss legal topics. On electronic communication, always exactly. discuss them or on the phone. Or a lawyer or on the thread. Like, I actually use it to teach privilege because he um, he cc'd a lawyer, but it wasn't to a lawyer. He wasn't asking for legal advice. He was declaring. So it's, it's, a, uh, it's a fun one. But yeah, it's, it's um, so, I actually could show the email if you want. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, and right, the, so the, the, the issue here, though, is OpenAI can't have their cake and eat it too. They can't be selling billions of dollars in secondary and claiming the nonprofit for the good of the world. When literally the same executives who, I'm going to use the word liberated, or took without permission, the New York Times, took without permission, uh -huh. are the ones cashing in their shares at a $100 billion valuation. And pretty illogical, if this thing is worth, if the New York Times was 2% of the training data, and if it was, let's say, the best of the training data, and they said this is five times better than anything else, okay, that's 10% of the good stuff. Okay, 10% of 100 billion is 10 billion. So we want 10 billion. Or if this thing's going to grow to a trillion, we want 10% of the value of the company. And when it becomes worth a trillion, you know, we're going to 100 billion. Yeah, I mean, and these kinds of cases, like, you know, it's always and, and this is where, you know, I, I love being a lawyer. And I, like, I, I genuinely think, yeah. Yeah, right? Um, I love you being a lawyer. Oh, uh, thanks. No, <laughs> I, it's like, I, I think it's like where the advocacy really matters. So, you know, one of the things I worked on early in my career was the Apple Samsung case, and I was the associate on damages and figuring out, okay, what's the a value of a rounded corner on a phone? Like that was like, how do you assess that? And yeah. so similarly here, there's a lot of unknowns. We don't know how valuable OpenAI is going to be. We all think it's going to be worth trillions, but we don't really know. There could be some meta could break out or one of the others could break out yeah it could become worthless it can become exactly nasty. exactly or or you know a lot of the research i've seen in the last maybe couple of months is that ai can generate its own training data so there's people literally yeah. saying that we don't even need the new york times anymore we can use the ai we synthetic have to write the new york data, times yeah. exactly yeah. and so that's like another thing so it's really um you know it, it definitely is not for the kind of faint of heart or stomach there's a billion ways to argue anything but here let mm. me show you this um this yeah. this this lindholm email because it's so fun um one second there's always somebody on the staff while you pull it up that thinks they're an attorney uh like me because i'm sitting here <laughs> with my non-legal degree but i've got a lot of experience and uh i always tell my team members like you're not an attorney do not talk about any legal issues ever we can have a yeah. phone call and talk about yeah, them. So, i'm an attorney so, but be careful okay here we go exactly so this one so this is from tim lundholm who was um i believe he was a, 
an engineering director and he sends it to Andy Rubin. And then Ben Lee was, was a lawyer at Google, but he says context for discussion, what we're trying to do. And he calls it attorney work product, which again, he's not an attorney. So he tried and he calls it confidential. And then he says, this is a short pre-read for her call. And then this is the famous line that got, that got a lot Mm. of play um, in litigation here in San Francisco, what we've actually been asked to do by Larry and Sergey is to investigate what technical alternatives exist to Java for Android and Chrome. We've been over a bunch of these and think they all suck. We conclude that we need to negotiate a license for Java under the terms we need. Mm. And that was the key issue in the case. Funny enough, to your point of going to the mat, Google ended up losing on this at the trial level, but went up to the Supreme Court and ended up winning over the, the needed copying. But to your point that this is like, it's going to be a fight and it's going to be a lot of discovery. I, I I would predict that. All right. So what else are we missing here? Because you in your deck had some of the examples, I think is super compelling. And because technologists, you know, and you work with technologists, they tend to a portion of them think if I can technically figure out how to do something, it's legal, or it should be. I don't know what to call this, but like, it's sort of might is right. If I can technically figure out how to scrape your website and create this or create that, and well, then it should be legal, which is how the Napster folks felt like, well, we tech it's and there's also the technical inevitability argument. Well, it's going to happen. So we might as well do it. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, look, so- I, I, there is something to that. So one, one of the cases is, um, was an emulator. So Sony is a very common uh, either plaintiff or defendant in IP cases because they have a lot of valuable IP. And basically someone made an emulator of a PlayStation, an early PlayStation on a PC. And the graphics were actually technically better on the on the PC. And that case went to the Ninth Circuit and the emulator maker won because wow. and there was a lot of copy involved. They had to ha- they had to basically reverse engineer the entire PlayStation to be able to do it. And of course they copied it, like the literal bits and bytes of, of the code were, were put onto, into the emulator. And so th- there is something to that. Mm. Um, I mean, well, this is also the great irony of this is that while OpenAI is an organization you can sue because it exists as an entity, the open source community is a little bit harder to sue because they don't exist as an entity. You have contributors. So maybe you could speak to that because if, Let's say OpenAI does lose this case or settle, which I believe is what it's going to be one of those two things. A massive settlement, nine figures minimum is my prediction. And, uh, but it will not be disclosed, but it'll be at least nine figures uh, with some kind of licensing going forward. But I- even if you were to do that, what's to stop as, you know, all these open source projects come out there and somebody decides they're going to roll their own model as hardware gets better and better that they just ripped the New York Times and you could buy the New York Times archive probably from somebody in India, in Manila, in Israel, there are scraping companies that sell these things uh, on the what I'll call the gray market, maybe illegal here, maybe legal there, maybe there's no laws there. So maybe you could speak to that. Do you think all this uh, is for open source? Open source is an interesting angle. I mean, I think open source had its own, you know, one of the things that was that was interesting in the wave of AI regulation we've seen, you know, from the EU and others was, you know, open source had a lot of the same objections of like, um, you know, people had t-shirts with algorithms printed on it. They're like, okay, if we open source, then, you know, all these bad guys will get, will get the code. But sort of a market worked out here. I, I think it's tougher. I think, um, you know, it's going to involve calls by the right rights holders. And then what I think will happen is what we talked about at the top of the hour, which is like, as the tech emerges, a market like t- 
tech for the market for it will emerge. You know, we're going to get the iTunes equivalent. And I think there are some startups being funded in there. They're still at this point. I don't think yeah. it's a, it's not a, before this case, I don't think it was being talked about enough to be a problem with a big enough market, but now, but now it is. Here's a possible solution. Let me see what you think of this. I buy ChatGPT for 20 bucks and it says, um, if you authenticate with your New York Times subscription, so your ChatGPT, and I authenticate with my New York Times subscription, then it says, okay, you're going to use ChatGPT 4.5 T for New York Times. Yeah. And so, but if you don't have the T and you do it on 4.5 and you say, hey, wire cutter, what are the best things? It says, hey, you need to have a New York Times subscription. So authenticate with that. And then you say, hey, I want to make uh, Star Wars carry. It says, oh, you know what? You have to use OpenAI. Uh, you have to use ChatGPT with Disney Plus. So authenticate your Disney Plus. And now you can start to have fun with the Disney characters in Dolly or whatever it is. And then they could license that to the highest bidder. Because when I, you know, if you use Hulu and you have HBO Max or NBA or use Apple TV, they just authenticate each other's subscriptions. So you have this sort of subscription, death by a thousand subscriptions uh, kind of concept. Yeah. What do you think of this concept? I mean, I think it's it's certainly that that shape of a solution it sounds right to me like i, I think technically viable too right i mean yeah, it's I, technically I don't, I don't think doable. It's difficult the, the other interesting thing is there are a bunch of startups trying to do sort of like your digital life right where twitter search is like notoriously terrible you literally can't find anything on twitter and how often does it happen to me that i'm like oh i remember there was a tweet about that and then like i can't find it so you can imagine an llm that's actually trained on your entire everything you've ever consumed and then by the nature of if you've consumed it then presumably at some point along the way, yeah, the rights. Yeah, that does something. Yeah, too. there's like there's a million you know ways to do it, and that's kind of the why I, I I characterize the lawsuit as historic is that we're at this moment where we don't know what the what the tech and the market solution to this is yet, yeah. and it'll emerge. It's just you know maybe not in the exact way we did it. So another fun thing, um, at Andreessen Horowitz, there's an investing partner that she writes. Um, I think it's Connie Chan. She writes a lot about um, China and media in China. In China, when you buy a Kindle book or any kind of book digitally, you pay by the page, right? So it's like wow. not actually a thing. So the fact that we happen to buy whole books here in the US, that's the market that emerged, not necessarily a foregone conclusion. So in your example, you could have, you know, that you're like, do you want wire cutter? And it could literally just be like the wire cutter slice of the New York Times thing, or it could be like by the query, or it could be some kind of rev share, like. You know, the, as you said, music industry is super sophisticated on this. I think, you know, the words and kind of digital print. Publishers, will, will let's be honest. Yeah. Publishers are kind of dopey. They've they've been dopey historically. They've never really been smart about their approach legally. They've never held the line. They let Google run amok. And, you know, Rupert Murdoch got it right. He's like, Google's nothing without us. If those publications had grouped together in that era and told Google, listen, you know, the top 1000 publications are going to no index unless you pay us a licensing fee. And, and here's what we want. Google would have paid it, um, I'm sure. And they just never had the coordination or the chutzpah that they needed to. I think the New York Times today is so sophisticated because they're a subscription based business, the move to subscription based makes them understand the value of their content. And because it's subscription, doesn't that change everything on a legal and technical basis about this case? The fact that there's a firewall, maybe you could explain how the subscription wall changes this a bit. Yeah. So um, 
Strum Plus One on New York Times having kind of jumped the digital divide or jumped the digital, you know, evolution there. Um, the New York Times food app would be, you know, it's all a startup in its own right in, in the hundreds of millions in terms of revenue. And, you know, recipes themselves are not copyrightable. Obviously, no. the rest of it is. But I pay for New York Times food and I have for since it came out because it's so nicely compiled and they do the, you know, 10 recipes to make for the new year and whatever. And so beautiful. It's um, worth it. Exactly. It it's a thousand, it's, it's a thousand percent worth it. But publishers and another, another example you could look to here is Kindle, right? So they did one of the things that I, I point out in the thread and I think is, or, you know, in the responses to my thread was, so Amazon Kindle had uh, the guy who's now the chairman of Kotu Ventures, Dan Rose, was the head yeah. of business development for Kindle. And Been he basically, show. oh, good. Yeah. Uh, he's done a bunch of, um, you know, did a bunch of deals with the publishers. And initially he's public about this. Bezos said, don't tell them we're making an e-reader. <laughs> and he's like, well, how am I going to get them to do deals with me if I can't actually say? And so eventually they did. But you're right that that was a moment where, you know, the tech company kind of had this power. But what was different about Kindle was Kindle was still kind of unproven at the time. Mm. Versus here, we've got ChatGPT. Clearly, it's a runaway success. It was the fastest million growing people using app. it. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're at I think it was 160 or 1.6 billion ARR now. Um, yeah, and this, so they can't claim poverty, or this isn't exactly, a real business. Yeah. This so, is not you know, a so student project. Know. So yeah. I mean, even if you you know made the argument, which I, I don't I don't know enough about publishers to to know if they're dopey. But even if they were, like you can see they the were. money. I knew them. <laughs> so. They were they were for twenty years when the the digital. But now they're super sophisticated. The ones that survived, it's kind of like a Darwin thing. Like if you survived mm -hmm. as a publisher, you're sad. Yeah, makes Period, sense. Full stop. Okay, now in your deck, you had some other examples. Is there anything else in the deck that's super compelling we should rip through here before, as Let's we wrap see. up? Let's yeah. take a look. I love, um, a, I love a guest showing up with a deck. Amazing. You've turned All out right, to be see. a great guest. Thank <laughs> great, you for coming thanks. on the program. Yeah, super fun. Happy any anytime you have anything yeah. legal, happy, happy to dive in. There was a fun part of the thread where um, people were making Luigi fan art. And it, yes. you could kind of tell when the model was getting, uh, was, was, being aware of copyright. So this is kind of a fun one. So I started getting errors that said, okay, put Luigi in the background of my chat GPT. It says, I'm unable to create an image with Luigi as it doesn't align with the content policy for image generation. Okay. So this was like yesterday. Yeah. And then, okay, but clearly they didn't <laughs> care about the Grinch and blues from Blues Clues, Coca-Cola. And then I threw in um in the background. Hogwarts? Is the, uh, no, it's the castle from Downton Abbey. Oh, down now you're right. Yes, that is the yeah, down Abbey. Yeah, so I'm sorry, you know, I've heard. I didn't watch Down and Abbey. Oh, it's amazing. No, you I did so watch, watch it. it. I did. It's I, so I'm good. Like, I'm being it's, cheeky. It's, I did watch it. it. Okay, I did watch good, it. Yeah. <laughs> no, the movie itself. If you if you just so, want the movie, it's pretty good. So four yeah, so this copyright one, violations in one. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you got trademark there with the Coke and everything. Mm. So yeah, and then you know, with the Grinch, it tried to actually um, at different points. This is kind of funny. It would try to actually do different things. I can see if I can find you the. Let me see if I can find the Grinch that it did. It did a Grinch that was. Um, let me pull up my my GPT history. Always uh, scary on a live demo. Yeah, but always <laughs> scary to pull it up. You could have all kinds of interesting. Well, <laughs> exactly. I mean, no, no, no. I I will pull it up because because it, it is funny. I think I asked for a green character that hates Christmas or something like that. And yeah. And what it did, this was really fun. So I was with my three-year-old and she wasn't fooled. Like this one, she did not think was the Grinch. Like she said Grinch, but. 
He's kind of different. He's got like clothes on. Kind of looks on. like Sesame Street character. Yeah, yeah. you know, the, this is clearly not the Grinch. But later in the thread, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I'm making me. That's like so clearly the Grinch, right? Yeah, Jim Carrey, so, yeah. Yeah, mm. and then, you know, also the Grinch. But then this one, it kind of goes back to... That's a Pixar Grinch. It goes back to a Pixar Grinch, so it's like yeah. not really right. And then this one is like like a wizard Grinch. Like, what, do you, what even is this? Disney, <laughs> Disney, maybe a Disney... Grinch? I don't know. Yeah, so I asked for Nordic princess sisters, obviously mm-hmm. Anna and Elsa, yeah. you know, so kind of right did there. that with the braids, yeah. you know, so. Well, this is the the thing. It, it, you can you can know the the keywords very easily of these are IP. So if you just said, hey, give me all the Disney characters, all the Marvel characters, put their names in here. People ask for that. Just tell them it's against the it policy. It won't do it. Yeah, Moana, it just says no. If he's just yeah. saying make me Moana, it won't do it. Yeah, and so I did this where I was trying to make a, a my bulldog into Darth Vader, and then it, I, it says we can't not gonna can't can't do that. I said make a Sith Lord bulldog, and it's like yeah, of course, here you go. <laughs> so it, I think they're trying to get this copyright thing under control, but the truth is, especially for images, uh, there are all, there's a finite number of styles in the world, and so it's very clear that they have a Pixar style and they have a Marvel style, and they have stolen those styles. Those are not their styles. So maybe you could speak to the concept of a theme or a style. The Pixar style is unique to them. Is that defensible? And if you if they if you say, I want to make this in the style of Pixar, should a language model that makes images be able to make you a Pixar character? Should they be able to do that? Yeah, I, I think the idea of the Pixar style, should they be able to do in that style or inspired by mm-hmm. i think so i mean really? this is mm. like okay you know a round face and you know i actually represent this is fun this actually came out one of the cases i worked on at my firm was barbie versus bratz so the founder of um mga which makes bratz worked at mattel which is very active rights holder. They sue people for lots of barbie things and then obviously the barbie ip is super valuable billion dollar movie yeah. this summer so he worked there during, and one of the defenses was that, you know, it wasn't infringement because it, there's only so many ways to make a doll. So in the office, really fun, we had these like big doll heads everywhere, and we looked at anime, we looked at whatever, and the case also 10 years of litigation, but should you be able to make a big-headed doll, like, in in the style of a Bratz doll or, you know, whatever? Probably. I mean, so I don't know. I, I think it'll be tough where, you know, you can ask GPT now to give you a Taylor Swift-style song. And and it does it does a pretty good job. So where it's something new, you know, a little bit better. That's why the exhibit J with the hundred verbatim things is so important. So copyright law isn't gonna isn't gonna stop um, you know, make me a Pixar style character of, you know, jar of mustard or whatever. Like, like you know, like whatever you want to pick. It does seem that some people are confusing non-commercial use with commercial use. So they're like, well, I could draw a Jedi Bulldog. Is that illegal if my daughter makes one versus I'm charging $19.95 for a product to do this and at scale with $1.6 billion in growing in revenue? So can you explain to people why, you know, these are two different things in the eyes of the law? Yeah, so that was actually a big issue in the Betamax case. So the Betamax case was was VTRs or what is now VCRs. And the funny thing happened, which is, Disney was one of the groups that sued Sony and the Supreme Court held, you know, there is a substantial non-infringing use. That's the language, which is time shifting. So you want to watch the game, you use your VCR, you record it, and then you watch it later. 
And there was all kinds of evidence this is how people were using VCR. Nevertheless, Disney was one of the petitioners um, in that case. I think it was less than six years later, Disney was the single biggest seller of VCR tapes. <laughs> and so literally, like, the tech finds a way, right? And, yeah. and the market finds a way. And so in terms of commercial use, you know, there were a bunch of people in the comments and it's a beautiful article in, I think it was The Guardian about, um, I can't remember his name, the, the guy who came up with Mario, the game designer. The famous guy, yeah, I know he's talking yeah, about anyway, Nintendo. Yeah, Sh- Shiguro, I think. Yeah. Anyways, saying that he was the architect of children's dreams for a generation, which is like a, a beautiful quote. But essentially, like, if people, you know, making actual Marios, okay, I think that Nintendo should be able to go after that. But mm. making Mario-style video games, no, I don't think they should be able to go after that. Try to inform the audience of where we think this is going. The prediction for what happens in the long term here with this case and then how it affects the wider industry. So it does seem the number one possibility in all cases of a copyright claim is settlement. So I guess that would be one possibility, settlement. Then there's go to the mat and take many years um, and then get a judgment, right? That's a Uh second possibility here. So, and then I guess there's the courts throwing this out or dismissing it, right? Or something. So are those the three buckets we should be looking at here, like either New York Times wins or loses or a settlement happens? Those are the three possibilities, broadly speaking? Yeah, I mean, winning and losing is like, you know, even in some of the famous cases, there's a process where it gets remanded, so sent back. So some of these things for the infringement that, or, you know, if it is infringement, the things that have already happened are Exhibit J's type of examples. You know, they, New York Times will preserve claims on that. Um, but as OpenAI makes changes, I think you're right. I think it's either the case gets settled. And one way that could happen is, you know, they announce some kind of copyright holder symposium or something. And New York Times is like the head of this consortium. And it's like mm. some kind of opt-in system where, you know, New York Times content is part of it. And publishers can go there and maybe they get a little royalty. You know, something accelerated similar to what the music industry has, where there's a very sophisticated thing where you need to get the mechanicals and you need to get the performance rights. And it's, 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 there's like a known system and libraries for that. We'd call that a marketplace solution emerges. Exactly. So, like, okay. one possibility is like a marketplace solution. Another possibility is, um, you know, the court comes out with a ruling that says LLMs, just the fact of developing an LLM is not copyright infringement provided you have some kind of substantial protections and it could come out with a test that says okay if somebody asks for luigi or moana you know anything that's like very obvious that should be fixed and there should be measures taken to address that another possibility which we wasn't on the table is congressional action that's very possible So we actually have that that has happened where courts have i'm sorry congress has codified things i mentioned fair use in the 1976 copyright act with the internet we have the dmca and it's a very robust system right somebody asks you to take something down you know they can contest it so an an amendment to the dmca also possible there's a california senator who um he was a cs major super cool um so california i think senator um or, or u.s senator from california who um is proposing ai regulation and and that could be a possibility so that would mean 
whoever gives the most money to be a bit cynical here, whoever gives the most money to their senators, congressmen, whatever politicians, and has the most influence in the deepest pockets for these old people, uh, the geriocracy, geriocracy, is that what they're called? <laughs> <laughs> Geritocracy or something that, that run uh, Washington, you know, that would kind of feel like it would be in favor of the copyright holders because copyright holders in the united states we really do protect them uh in a major way so they could just say listen you got to get permission full stop you know that, that's possible i do think you know like i said open ai has been very savvy and thoughtful in a lot of ways and you know part of sam altman's sort of charm of charm tour last yeah. fall was on this like they, yeah. they know who he is and he's like look i'm not zuck and I think he was very successful in in showing that he wasn't uh. that he's not Zuck. And so, you know, that's another possibility. I think, you know, the Europe Europe did regulate AI, and they were very proud of that. So far, it has not been regulated here, but I think there will be a situation. And and this is um, Google made a bunch of good law on um, on sponsored search. So initially, if you search for a term on Google, if you search for you know Volvo. Acme. Acme's yeah. competitor can buy that. Or if you search for Ford, you can get a Chevy ad. And yeah. that was actually, it wasn't clear that that wasn't trademark infringement. Google yeah. spent about 10 years litigating that issue and just won. And I've seen legal theorists make the case that part of the reason Google won is that judges love Google because it's so useful. <laughs> and so I think similarly for ChatGPT, it's so useful for us lawyers in particular because we we our, our stock and trade is words. That um, either I, I don't think that OpenAI will lose here. I actually I'm, oh, I'm really? going to disagree with you. I, I think okay. that OpenAI will win some key points. You know, they'll probably have to make some concessions. They'll have to have a copyright clearance center, and they'll have to, um, you know, have DMCA style things. But I, I don't think they're going to straight lose on the fair use, or at least not without going wow. all the way to the Supreme That's Court. Fascinating. I'm taking the other side of that. I think it's going to be we're going to come down in favor of for people who have at scale copyright libraries you're going to need their permission ahead of time and if you've used it i think you're going to have to unwind it which is what i i agree with you that they're probably in the process of doing that sam's pretty smart and i think it just it's easier to just be like you know what we took it out we redid it it's no big deal to yeah, retrain yeah, they, our they model could, without they new they could do that yeah. there, there's been some memes on that on the um you know the, the like square jaw meme and it's like yeah. take my content out and the guy's like fine <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, okay sure um yeah, and, and so that, that, could, that could be possible yeah i think that's a that's a distinct possibility i do think you bring up a really good point which is having seen up close and personal what happened with uber and also airbnb i wasn't an investor in that one unfortunately because people loved the service so much and became addicted to it by the time the lawsuits started to pile up when austin got rid of the city of austin got rid of uber and lyft at one point people went nuts and then when writing campaigns. I mean, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and their public policy, it, it was incredible, like doing that. The one distinction I would make. So Uber is a great example where like I even tell I advise my my clients like product market fit is an incredible drug, right? It really makes your lawsuits better. And honestly, Uber, every time they had a lawsuit, their usage just went up. Like, yeah. So it's like, and this Uber, by the way, thing. also for Uber. Yeah. This one, what's slightly different is Uber was like in the trenches city by city versus mm -hmm. this is federal. So you run yeah. into some of the the gerontocracy or whatever issues that, that you mentioned. That's a fair point too. Airbnb, the same thing. You know, people were like, well, I want to have choices of where to stay and I want to be able to monetize my home or my second home or my guest house. And it just felt like those companies were on the right side of history vis-a-vis -vis consumer choice, 
lower prices, et cetera. And I think that's what ChatGPT really has going for them, which is we all want to be able to make Luigi characters and make a birthday <laughs> card for you know our family or make a party invite that has the Silver Surfer and Marvel characters on it. So if yeah. that's the case, we're kind of like, well, that's kind of the world we want is where we get to use your copyrights without your exactly. permission. No, it, it totally <laughs> is. But I mean, that this really gets like, it goes back like kind of way back machine. Like mm. I remember when I was at Yahoo and Yahoo was trying to launch like a subscription or a paid e-card service. And I was like, I'm not going to pay for that. I can get that free on Blue Mountain. And it just happened to be that ads is what emerged. But one of the things the Europeans point out, and I, I think a lot of thinkers point out is that ad supported tech is not necessarily how it had to be you no. know could it could have been could another have been. way and so you know similarly yeah. here like it could be a subscription it could be a licensing like there's many different ways and it'll be interesting to see like eventually the law catches up it just like you said takes time i think now this is really very clarifying to have you on the program because the market-based solution is the likely case here so i think that's where i come to after an hour with you market-based solution always the best solution parties get around a table and and hash it out and then there's of course some liability for the mistakes that open ai made so they pay a speeding ticket they give them a hundred million dollars as part of this new thing no harm no foul they can afford it they got 10 billion laying around it's all good but i like the market-based solution and i think there's something very interesting in how the cable tv system worked or, or is the, how bundling and subscriptions work now and authentication um, because ChatGPT knows how to do that. Sam Waltman and the team over there know how to do that. Like they already have API keys. So the New York Times subscription is like an API key to unlock some things in the New York Times, right? It could be like a really cool feature. Like maybe the op open AI markets to people, hey, you if you have a New York Times subscription, this is going to get a lot better for you because when you ask your queries, it's going to give you a bunch of stuff and say, and also from the New York Times for further reading, boom, 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 boom. Uh, and would you like us to bookmark this it's a world of possibilities of how open AI could work with, you know, New York Times to make interesting stuff vis-a-vis uh, -vis recipes. Hey, you, I want to ask it about recipes. Here's the, I took a picture of my refrigerator and then it went to the New York Times food app and told me possibilities of what I can make based on exactly, my spice draw. Exactly. You know, that's no, kind of interesting. It's it's amazing. And that was one of the things, you know, I mentioned that I spent, uh, you know, three and a half years at Amazon. And that's kind of how Bezos thinks. And it was woven into everything where it's like, okay, how can we have this tech work together? How can we get paid for one piece of content multiple times? How can we turn something into self serve? Like, you know, I loved Mark Andreessen's AI piece. Obviously, he's super in the AI optimism phase, but I'm very optimistic, too, for all these like, daily life fun use cases. <laughs> so yeah, good stuff. As career technologists, you and I, it's pretty clear that this is the one. This is the chosen one. This technology is the manifestation of everything that's come before it, from the PC revolution to the internet to mobile and cloud yes. and, and all this, and, and then big data. All of this is built up to this moment in time. And so it's really important we get it right. Cecilia, you are amazing. Where can people find more of you? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter. It's Cecilia Zinn, um, or I am pretty active on LinkedIn as well. I'm launching my own startup, which is oh. AI, AI for lawyers. Yeah. Oh, I know an I know an angel investor. Do I know you? an angel oh, investor. Yeah, yeah, he's really so, good at getting you your first hundred customers. Amazing. Yeah. No, it's excellent. <laughs> Does it have a name yet? Or um, yeah, it's going to be General Counsel AI. So that's who I am. And I thought, okay, GCAI. But love it. 
essentially still sort of, I guess, uh, you know, stealth because we're developing the product, but I, I have a, an engineering co-founder and we're, we're pretty well, well there, but to the point that we talked about, like LLMs are wordsmiths, right? So what are lawyers also wordsmiths? So I've had, you know, when you said that this is the chosen technology, I had that feeling very strongly. I've never been excited about legal tech before. It's like, you know, CLM snooze. But this was actually Document like management. Snooze. Exactly. You know, yeah. but like this is something where to the CND point, I could write a cease and desist letter and I just say like, here's the, here's the infringement, here's the whatever and make very light edits and a one hour task becomes a five minute task, not even. And I, I give training classes for lawyers. You can find me on Maven. I know you, you're, you're oh, friends sure. with Gagan and them too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I teach on Maven because I, I just have so, yeah. so much energy that I got to get out. Right. So fantastic. Everybody check out Maven and we'll put some links in the show notes. You are awesome. Please come back. We should do a check-in when we, w- yeah, on this let's case do it. and this more. This is so fun. Okay, yeah, chill ha- ha- happy to do it. Have a good one, Jason. Thanks so all much. Right. And we'll see you all next time on This Week in Startups. Bye-bye.